got back from West Africa on Saturday. I wish that I could just like take you all and show you how powerful our God is. He, I watched him start a little group that we believe will become a church in a village that has refused all influence from Christ for 20 plus years. Really, since the beginning of time. But uh, I just wish you could see the power of our God working among the Muslim peoples of West Africa and how he's making himself known. My wife uh, and I worked for 12 and a half years among the Yalunka people. The uh, That's the whole Bible in Yalunka, now translated. And that's the solar-powered... Uh, a dramatized audio of the whole New Testament. You get your phone out and you could, you could pull up the Yalunka language on, uh, YouVersion, Bible.is app. Uh, you could turn on the Jesus Film Media app and watch the Jesus Film right this minute. Don't do it though. And, uh, I mean, Jesus now speaks Yalunka fluently. Praise God. And the, the reason we in Pioneer Bible Translators translate the Bible is because there is no more solid, tangible barrier to the message of the gospel than language. I mean, you, if you can't speak the language, you can't even buy bread. Forget about explaining and preaching the, the book of Romans. Uh, so like, I should know. I have made the most quintessential, colossal language errors in the history of the world. One time I was preaching uh, this church in this church, and and I got to the third point. It was going to be a great moment in Yolunka church history. And the third point, I just shouted out, "Jesus is the thing that peels our heads." <laughs> it was epic. <laughs> Jesus loves you. And he trusts you enough to give you a really great mission. And when Jesus sent us into the world with the task of teaching every nation how to obey the Lord Jesus, uh, that included uh, my friend Lai. My friend Lai among the Yalunka, he had really serious problems. He had epilepsy. And uh, all of the witch doctors had treated him until the point that he got so demon-possessed that he was a raving, uncontrollable menace. He, he will tell you that he got to the point where he could not see human skin without trying with all of his might to bite that person. And uh, he said that when we came across him for 12 days, the sorcerers had closed his throat. He had not eaten or drunk anything for 12 days. So one day, I'm up in my water tower cleaning all the gunk out of my water tower, and uh, the pastor from the church comes and he says, my childhood friend, just three miles down the road, I went in there to see him because I've heard that he's sick. And when I walked in there, I mean, there's four people holding him down. It takes four people to hold this guy down. And he said, when I walked in there, he said, Jesus Christ has come to save me. So I want to borrow your car and go get that guy and bring him here. And uh, and I said, okay, sure. And they took four guys with them to bar- to go in the truck and put this guy in there physically and hold him down and sit on him 
all the way to town, to our, where we lived. And uh, they brought him in there, and they began to pray for him in a little hut next to the church. And he said, you know what, I'm, I'm okay now. You can let me go. And they're like, no way. He said, no, really fine. I'm, I'm all right now. You can go ahead and let me go. They said, well, if you're okay, how about you eat or drink something? And, and when I got there, they were just shoveling rice into this guy like I have never, ever seen anything like it. And so, <clears throat> to celebrate when this guy, I mean, this guy became a believer. He's the only believer from his hometown. He became a believer. He kind of got a, a position of, of leadership in the church a little bit even. And, and I mean, this guy, we were so excited. He regained his strength. We decided we were going to celebrate by going back to his village and hunting monkeys. Because that's, that's how we roll. And uh, so we went back there to his town. And when we got there, hundreds of people gathered just to look at this guy. The last time they saw him, he was screaming. He was uncontrollable. Four people holding him down. They were just waiting for him to finally quit screaming and die of starvation and thirst. And now look at him. He's healthy. He's going out hunting. He's in his right mind. He's become a follower of Jesus Christ. And everybody there, you could just see it on their face. They're wondering, who is this Jesus whose word has such power to transform lives. Your mission is to bring good news to the poor. Because Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The mission of Jesus is always, it's always been about proclaiming transformational, powerful, good news to the poor. But, um, you know, America, most American Christians think, well, you know, pretty much everybody's heard. I mean, in this day of like the internet and, and, uh, radio and all this stuff, everybody has already had a chance to hear, but it's just not true. Over a billion people in the world still don't have a New Testament in their language. Uh, about 160 million people, and I checked on the stats right before we came, speaking 1,729 languages now, need a Bible translation to even start. They have no scripture in their language. About 900 out of those 1,729 have no church either. Unreached and scriptureless. No source of hope. Still about 41% of the world's population, 3 billion people unreached, least reached. So how do we finish a task like that? How do we make progress? How do you, how do you go somewhere where they don't have the Bible? They don't have uh, a church? They don't have anything? And now, you know, like how do you just get it started? Uh, well, here's how it happened for Rebecca and I. First, since it was like a Francophone West Africa thing, we had to go to France and learn French going from bakery to bakery at great personal sacrifice. <laughs> and then we went to West Africa and we, uh, uh, we found a guy who spoke Yalunka and French. And we said, tell us how to say, what is this? And he said, Nanseitura. 
Try that with me now. Nanseitura. Let's try it one more time. Nanseitura. Okay, you're hired. You guys can do this. All right. So we go around and we're like going all over the village with our little notepad. And we're like, we find a dog. We're like, Nanseitura. And they're like, Barenanara. We're like, okay, I'm hoping for dog. And, uh, and you go to a house, you're like, Nanseitura. And they say, Barenanafana. Uh, what the heck? How do you write? <laughs> and then uh, two years later, you can preach. So, so this one lady in the village was so old, all she could do was just kind of sit around the village and tell us Yolunka words. And she taught us the things that are the most important for a Yolunka grandmother to know. She taught us the most beautiful, sweet lullabies that you could ever want to hear. And she taught us the phrase... I'm going to beat you till you pee. <laughs> and she taught us the words, I'm, even if Jesus comes down, I'm still going to beat you. Because the, the Muslims know that Jesus is coming back. And so like every, right before they get, get a big old spanking, every Yolunka kid has wondered to himself, I don't know who this Jesus is, but I hope he comes back in time to save my rear. And so um, we had to come up with the alphabet in this language. I hope we didn't screw that up. And then we uh, developed a writing system. And it was kind of like uh, literacy materials that are like hooked on phonics in Yalunka. And then uh, we put together a team of Christians who were drafting the scriptures from French. And then we would compare their drafts to the Greek or the Hebrew text to make sure they meant what they were supposed to mean. And then we would take them out into the community to test them to make sure there weren't any unexpected results. So like, you know, one of my friends who translated the book of Genesis, he translated in the beginning there where it says, uh, and God made the creeping, crawling animals. Remember that part? So he takes it out of the community to test it. And, and the guy said, and they says, well, so what does this part here mean? And he says, it means... Uh, okay, you know, because he's like, he'd been telling him, look, these are the animals, they're on the ground. They're on the ground. So when they tested it, they said, and God made the handicapped animals. <laughs> <laughs> on the ground, right? <clears throat> so a while back, I, uh, yeah, you don't, it doesn't always work. You gotta fix those things. Uh, a while back, a guy way down on the border of Sierra Leone, a long ways from our, uh, our house, had become a Christian, and there was a group of people following Jesus down there. And I went down there and I asked them, so how did you guys become believers? And this one guy told me, he said, well, I was on a trip, and this guy gave me a holy book uh, in my language, and I could read it. He said, I just loved the words of Jesus. Because he said that he came for messed up people and not for the righteous. Because he came to make them righteous and put them on God's path. And then he said, but you know, our elders, they tell us, don't you believe that Jesus message? It's a lie. He said, but I got to thinking about it. These are the same elders who told me my whole life growing up that even if Jesus comes down, I'm still going to beat you. They know that Jesus is coming to save people from punishment. And he said, if we have received this book of Jesus' message in our own language, that's what did it for me. He said, Jesus 
opened the eyes of the blind. He healed the lame. He raised the dead and he saved them. And Muhammad never did that. Only Jesus. All this man received was the book of Luke in his language. And it changed his whole life. Your mission is to transform lives through the power of God's word in their language. The village of Digila is a a center for ancestor worship. And uh, when I first went there way back in 2005, I used to go there to take hunting trips to hunt warthogs. Um, they got great warthogs there. And so the first night I shot one and we were sitting down to eat the parts that don't keep. And uh, just to clear the record there, you, you don't really have to like, to be a good missionary, you don't have to like warthog entrails, but it sure helps a lot if you do. <laughs> and so <clears throat> we happen to be there on the night when they celebrate Donkin Salah, which is Tabaski, the, the time when they celebrate Abraham almost sacrificing his son, uh, to, at the request, at the command of God. So we, uh, they came to us and they said, hey, aren't you those guys that have books about God in our language? And we pull out Genesis and we start reading Genesis chapter 22 to help them understand their, 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 uh, their feast that they're having. Because they, they kill a ram and they do the whole bit. And so I got to the part where in Genesis 22, the angel tells Abraham, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. And I asked the guys, so when it says all the nations on earth, do you think it means the Yalunka people too? And they said, you know, it has to mean us too. I said, this prophecy was spoken to Abraham that all the nations and the Yalunka people included would be blessed through Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of the prophecy comes to you today with the arrival of these books and it comes to you on the day that you are celebrating the event where the prophecy was given 4,000 years ago. At my job, I fulfill 4,000 year old prophecy. I have a good job. So we slept in the car that night, and like late, late into the night, I'm hearing them, they're reading and reading and reading the scriptures. And, uh, you know, there's a little group of people there now that are still reading those scriptures. So one day I was in that village, uh, there's about 80 Muslims sitting under a mango tree, and we're listening to the dramatized audio uh, of the New Testament, and they're talking about scripture, and school lets out, and I had a big box of scripture sitting uh, off to the side, and all these kids are getting out of school, and they're walking by, and this one kid walks over, and he's a pretty good-sized kid, and he happened to notice the box of Scripture in his language. And he's learning how to read, but he's never seen anything written in his language before. And he reaches in there, and he pulls out one of the little booklets, and he starts reading it. And you can see on his face, he's got to have it. So he looks around to see if anybody's watching him. I'm watching him, but he doesn't see that. And he kind of puts it under his arm and he starts walking away. And he gets about just far enough away where he knows nobody can catch him in a foot race. And he just takes off running. 
the first theft of the book of Galatians in Yalunka history. <laughs> so I'm sitting there watching this kid just running for all he's worth. And, and, and you know, all of the other people came along and they're like, man, and they're all taking them. And they're like, you mean we can just have these? And I'm thinking to myself, uh, no child should be so starved for the word of God that he would feel like he has to steal it. My brothers and sisters, that is not good enough. We have got to get to these places where people are hungry for the word of God. And we have to make it available to them and get it to them 2,000 years ago. Jesus sent us, and we're never going to stop. We're going to go to every Yalunka village. We're going to go to every people group in the world until everyone, everywhere, has the opportunity to have the Word of God in their language. Because your mission is to multiply churches and disciples where no one has ever heard. The word before. <clears throat> a friend of mine named Califa grew up in Sierra Leone, just uh, down on the other side of the border. And uh, his dad was about to send him off to study to become a Muslim teacher. And at the last minute, he changed his mind and he sent him to Catholic school. And uh, so when he got to Catholic school, he said one day before class, the priest got up. And he started praying in Jesus' name. And he was like, what is this? He said it, he had never, ever heard that there was any such thing as Jesus before. So the poverty in Sierra Leone was so bad that Califa lost his mind off and on during this time. And um, one day in his mental instability, he heard a voice saying to him, take up the holy book. Take up the holy book. And so he went to the priest and he got a, a book, an English Bible. And they gave it to him. And he said, whenever I had that Bible, I, would, I, I, I was sane again. But if anybody took it away from me, I would lose my mind again. He said, uh, he said I longed to know what in the world was in that book. But I couldn't, because it was in English. And about this time, uh, the, the blood diamond conflict broke out. And around the same time, Califa became the victim of leprosy. And he, one of his legs was completely ruined with terrible sores. And uh, during the blood diamond conflict, these rebels would come in and they would rush into a village and they would shoot off their guns and they would capture as many people as they could and they would take them over and they would cut off an arm or a leg as a terrorist tactic. And so one day, Caliph is in, in his home village and the guys come running in with their guns and they're firing off their guns and uh, his family is forced to flee and they can't carry Califa and they abandon him in this village with these terrorists, and he's forced to crawl around and hide. Uh, and he said uh, they, their camp was just on the other side of a thicket from where he was hiding, and he could hear them talking. And he would crawl down to the river to get water from the same place they would get water. And he was always just that close to being killed 
by these terrorists. And then his cousin bravely sneaked back into the village and half carried and helped him hop and he crawled part of the way all the way to our side of the border where he encountered the holy book in his language. And when he, he said, when he came across the Bible in his language and he opened it up and he, the, the words, the information, the meaning would just come into his mind when he would read it. He said, I don't know about the rest of the Muslim world, but as for me, crazy Khalifa, this is what I've become. This is the reason I was born. And he, he loved the, the words in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. Let me read that for you. It says, Don't you hate it when the preacher uses one of these new translations? <laughs> Did you guys understand that? Of course you didn't understand that. You need it in your language. And so do 1,729 other languages. Let me read that for you in your language. Sorry, I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, for it is by grace that you've been saved, and, this, and through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Caliphus said that that scripture changed everything for him. He was, now he's become a, a church planter. In his people group. You know, think about how incredible the power of God is. I mean, here's a guy who was a victim of leprosy, couldn't walk. He's uh, stuck in a village with uh, terrorists, always just that close to being killed, mental instability. Now God has healed his mind. And he he has a, a prosthetic limb. He's got a family. He's a church planter. If God and His Word are powerful enough to transform this Caliph from where He was to where He is now, this God we serve is powerful enough to use you too. He can transform you and I, you and me too. Your mission is to see churches with Scripture transforming every language community on earth. Right now, Pioneer Bible Translators, we've got about 189 cross-cultural missionaries out there working in 66 languages spoken by 32 million people in 16 countries. Our goal is to go from those 66 languages to translating the Bible in 300 languages. And we calculate that if we'll do that part, then our other Uh, Partners in the Bible translation movement are going to be able to handle the rest of the scriptures. And over the next 18 years, we're going to start every language project needed in the world. And 20 years after that, there will be a New Testament in every language on earth. You live in a historic moment. This is what God is doing new in your generation.
It's never been conceivable, never been possible. By 2050, there will be scriptures in every language that needs it. And the earth will be covered with the, wa- with the word of the Lord, the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You know, people say, how could people in the time of Jesus have missed the birth of Jesus? That's what God was doing new in that time. But this is what God is doing in our day and age. And your school has not missed it. You are a part of this Bible translation movement. You guys are training up the generation of missionaries and church planters who will leave behind a world completely different, a world where everyone, everywhere, can have the Word of God in their language and can have church in their language context. This is what God is doing in our day. And I'm just here inviting you to get involved in what our great God is already doing worldwide. So, this is our mission. It's our mission because Jesus, our Lord, gave us this mission. So the question is, what will you do? I want to challenge all of you to think about what it would be like if you became a prayer warrior for missions. You became a person dedicated and devoted to prayer. What kind of power could you unleash in the world if you became a man or a woman of great and powerful prayer? Or what about going overseas? You know, we're talking about, we're not talking about, you know, week of E or, or like a, going over on spring break. We're talking about give your life. This is the meaning of your life. God could take you and use you this way. We need disciple makers. We need translators. We need uh, people who could do agribusiness, literacy teachers, teachers of missionary kids, people who can change the oil in cars. I'm telling you, just we need every kind of people. And then others, you know, you, there are other people that are going to be called by God. You know, no less commitment required to be the people that mobilize the church to give the resources needed to send these missionaries out to cross these last language barriers with church and scripture and life transformation. So I've been praying for literally 10 years that God would bring the right new missionaries who can get this task accomplished, who can take Pioneer Bible Translators from 66 to 300 uh, Bible translation projects in the world. I've been praying for 10 years. We have our, t- our larger team of 425 people pray every week that God would bring the right new missionaries to us. Every day, every week we're praying this. I fully expect that during this week, God in his, the power of His Holy Spirit is going to move and claim certain ones and direct them to join Pioneer Bible Translators. But the, but the challenge I bring you right now is not that. The challenge I bring you right now is bigger. It's team expansion. It's New Mission Systems International. It's 
the broader scope of the mission of the kingdom of God worldwide. That you would stand up and recognize your role in this mission. That Jesus Christ gave the church. Now is the time. And you are the generation that will finally rise up and obey the command of Jesus Christ. This is your mission. What will you do?